0: Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Thursday, December the 14th. And welcome to our our commentary. We're going to chat a little bit about some current events, but I want to begin with this one. I just saw this uh, bit of news, I guess, in the last few hours, and that is that Al Michaels, uh, the legendary sportscaster, is not going to be doing NFL playoff games anymore. And I'm sitting there going, what in the world? I think he works for NBC now. What in the world are they thinking at NBC? This is one of the greatest sports casters ever. I mean, I guess I'm kind of biased because I grew up with him. Uh, you know, he used to do Monday Night Baseball, he used to do the World Series, he used to do the NFL, a lot of the NFL. And probably his most famous uh, sports call of all time was when he was on the microphone. He was actually calling. That famous game between the United States and, and the old Soviet Union, you know, the hockey game where the in the 1980 Olympics, when the the young, you know, American team defeated the old Soviet Union, they were the, you know, the standard when it came to, uh, to ice hockey. And it was Al Michaels who called that game. You know, his if you want to, I mean, one of the most exciting things I have ever heard in sports casting is the last 30 or 40 seconds of that game when he was counting it down. I mean, so I don't know what they're thinking over at NBC. I believe that's what the network is. I don't know what they're thinking and who they're going to replace him with. But I've got to believe I'm not the only fan in the country who's really sad about this for Al Michaels uh, to be removed like this or replaced. I, I don't know what happened. But man, it's going to be different hearing playoff games or NFL playoff games without Al Michael, a big, big, big difference. Anyway, let me begin uh, today. Uh, more bad numbers for President Biden. There was another another round of polls that came out from these, uh, what they call, I guess, the important states or the the, the big states. And once again, we see President uh, Trump now leading on, on the popular vote by uh outside of the margin of error, meaning four points, five points in some of them, seven points, I think, in Georgia, uh, which is last time was almost a tie. So obviously something is happening with the American voter. And the American voter is rejecting President Biden. And obviously performance has a lot to do with that. No question about it. Performance is the leading factor in that uh, rejection. But that's as it stands right now, as it stands right now, uh, it would be probably uh, close in the popular vote, but President uh, Trump would go back in with uh, Pennsylvania, Georgia, uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, Nevada, and Georgia. He would go back in with those five states and that's more than enough for him to uh, to win the electoral college. Now one thing about the twenty twenty four election that nobody's really talking about is, I believe that Robert Kennedy is going to be a factor in the election. Now, I don't think he's going to get 20 percent of the vote. It's not going to be like, uh, you know, like George Wallace in 1968 or Ross Perot in 1992. It won't be those levels of popular vote. Perot got 19 percent of the vote and George Wallace got 15 percent of the vote back back then. So I don't think it'll be like that, but it'll be, I think, more around eight to 10 percent. But if you take Robert Kennedy, most of those votes are going to come from Democrats. And if you put Robert Kennedy in the mix, you potentially have Donald Trump winning not just 300 electoral votes, but potentially 350. Because you would put a lot more states in play with uh, Robert Kennedy taking 8 to 10% uh, of the popular vote. So we'll see. We'll see how that uh, goes down. But the bottom line is that you have now... You've had now a sequence, not just one poll, but several polls right now indicating that the American people are not very happy with Joe Biden, and they would like to replace him. And at the moment, he would be replaced, of course, by, by Donald Trump, who would be returning to the White House in what will go down as one of the greatest political comebacks in American history. Again, that's way down the future. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves. But right now, that's what the polling data is uh, indicating, which again, to me, it doesn't to me, it's not so much that the public all of a sudden is in love with Trump. I think that what's happening is that the public or the voters do not want Joe Biden. They don't want more of the Joe Biden presidency. And Trump is benefiting from that as, as the Republican at the moment. But I think the key here is that the public is rejecting uh, the Biden presidency, because the performance, frankly, has not been that good. And, and there's no better place to, to show that horrible performance than when it comes to the U.S.-Mexico border, which is an absolute disaster. I was talking to a, a friend today and uh, he was he called me this morning and he was talking about these trains that are coming to the U.S. border full of people. And, you know, he's going insane over that and correctly. So, and by the way, my friend is an immigrant, okay? This is not, he's a legal immigrant. So, you know, I just want to point that out. But, you know, he's looking at those trains and saying, what the heck's going on? Well, what's going on is that, you know, the word went out that uh, you can get into the United States at this point, that that's what's going on. And hopefully, hopefully this deal that they're working in the Senate where they're going to give money to Ukraine in exchange for something on the border. Hopefully, hopefully, out of that deal comes changes in the asylum laws and how people are coming in. But this has to stop. What's happening on the border, nobody's happy with it. That's the amazing thing about it. Nobody's happy with it. Just look at the mayor of New York. Look at the mayor of Chicago. Democrats are not happy with this. Look at the governor of Arizona sending a bill to the federal government for the situation on the border. So nobody's happy. Nobody's happy. And uh, probably, I'm guessing, that some changes will come over the next uh, couple of weeks or so as they work on that package for Ukraine and put some conditions for the border in that uh, in that package. Well, Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden went to, I guess he went to Washington and he gave a little speech and did not go in as he was supposed to uh, for that uh, private uh, interview that he was going to do with the Congress. By the way, that is the way it's done. That is that is the way it's done. This is not something that the Republicans are inventing here. That is the way it's done. You have a private interview first, and then you have your public uh, presentation. That is the way uh, it's always been done. But, you know, it, it is interesting to me to hear the defense of Hunter Biden or the defense of Joe Biden uh, when it comes to Hunter Biden. And many people are saying, "Well, Joe Biden is guilty of being a good father, who loves his son." Well, I can tell you that as the father of three sons, uh, I don't see how Joe Biden was a good father here. You know, and, and let's just look at the one one small part of this. You're the vice president of the United States, and you're flying to Ukraine, a country that you are diplomatically responsible for. You're doing business of the United States in that country. You're flying in the vice-presidential plane. So you bring Hunter with you. Now, that part is okay. I mean, nothing wrong with that, nothing illegal about bringing a family member. But when you're in Ukraine doing business with Ukraine, meaning Vice President Joe Biden, your son is setting up all these other contracts, including ending up on the board of directors of an energy company in Ukraine when Hunter Biden had no experience whatsoever in the energy field. None whatsoever. So what did he have? Well, he had a a famous last name of a man who was doing business representing the United States with Ukraine. Now, did Joe Biden know that? Well, you have to believe he did. So it seems to me that if he was a good father, what he would have done is he would have said to Hunter, Hunter, you're getting me in trouble by doing this. Okay, you're going to Ukraine doing business with a country that I'm responsible for, as vice president, you're getting me in trouble for doing this. You're going to get me in trouble, and you shouldn't do this anymore, Hunter. I'm not going to let you fly with me anymore. Or he could have said to Hunter Biden when you know he he gets a a request from Hunter Biden uh, when he says you know my dad is sitting here next to you or an important person is sitting here next to me, you know a good father would have called Hunter Biden in maybe not into the Oval Office but at home. And he would have said, Hunter, you're going to get me in trouble for doing stuff like this. You got to stop, okay? You know, you're the son of the vice president. I'm doing official business, and you apparently are profiting and from uh, being in the middle of all of this. So I don't think he was a good father at all. I'm sorry, I don't. Uh, I think he was a very tolerant father, and he was someone who didn't know how to tell his son, "Hey, cut it out. You're you're this. What you're doing is too much." Uh, I need you to stop uh, doing this and using the family name like this. So I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you, but I don't think that's being a good father. I think a good father would have taken an entirely different posture and would have told Hunter, Hunter, you got to stop this. You got to stop this because you're going to get me in trouble uh, as vice president, uh, you doing stuff like this. That's what a good father would have done. But so that's why I don't think he was a good father at all, or at least in this part. I'm not saying overall, but at least when it came to uh, to doing business uh, with Ukraine. Well, this is amazing. Have you seen the White House Christmas video? Now, maybe there's more than one video that they're going to do, but this one that they did is about as bizarre as it gets. And, you know, I've never seen anything like this, you know, a White House Christmas video with these dancers you know, again, I don't like it. It doesn't mean that it's evil, but I just don't like it. I prefer a white, you know, White House Christmas video that emphasizes the traditions of Christmas. Okay, maybe that's my choice. But my goodness, uh, this this uh, White House video is about as crazy as it gets, and I really, I really don't like it at all. But you know, I'm kind of a traditionalist, I guess, when it comes to when it comes to Christmas. Going back in history on this day, 1977, that would make it 46 years ago. Now sit back if you're part of my generation, because 46 years ago today, December the 14th, 1977, the movie Saturday Night Fever opened in the United States. Now, it was not supposed to be a big, it was actually a low budget film. It was not supposed to be a big hit. It was going to be kind of like a Christmas movie. But it became probably the biggest movie of the 1970s. And of course, everybody remembers the music, great music of the Bee Gees uh, in that that movie. I mean, the soundtrack of that movie sold uh, 30 million copies. I think it's still the number one best-selling soundtrack of all time. So tremendous, tremendous music. Now, as far as the story, I have to be honest with you, I was not crazy about the story. I thought it was kind of, uh, I don't know... even depressing at times, uh, the movie. I mean, it was basically the story of a young man with not much of a future who went dancing every Saturday night. That's kind of what it was. So it wasn't uh, exactly an inspirational kind of movie. But again, the music and the dancing were great. And I'm going to guess that 99% of you, like me, who saw the movie, enjoyed the music. And you bought the music, not necessarily the the story of the movie, and by the way, every once in a while they show that movie. And every time I watch it, or whenever I've tried to watch it again, you know, I don't really, I cannot watch the whole thing. I find it kind of boring, honestly. But the movie, the the movie soundtrack, of course, was absolutely great. So there's your on this day in history, Saturday Night Fever, forty six years ago today. And by the way, out of that movie came the number one song uh, around Christmas time. And that was How Deep Is Your Love by the Bee Gees, one of the great romantic ballads of that time. How Deep Is Your Love was number one the the week of Christmas. Thank you for watching. This is Silvio Canto in Dallas, and we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye, everybody.